I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ring FC. I'm Lisa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. I'm very warm. Yeah, me too. I'm at that level of warmth. It's a bit uncomfortable. Just everything yeah. is a bit uncomfortable. Me too. Like, I'm at my mum's place still, and uh, when you actually like come up the stairs, the temperature rises like five degrees. Temperatures it's rising. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely cooking. I'm <laughs> cooking up here. Not cooking as much as... My club cooked at the weekend, but that's not a story. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at Manchester United. I'm laughing at the fact that you went there so early and used that terminology. <laughs> um, Listen, facts are facts. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Should we do some admin very quickly? First of all, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, staying cool if you can, staying hydrated. I'm going to use a, an Okwongerism. There we are. Yeah, that is super important, everyone. Yes. It's super important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Righty's House this week will be myself and Ian. And we're going to be talking a little bit about some stuff that we'll probably touch on today. We're going to talk about Jamie Bino Gittins, who uh, scored his first Bundesliga goal for Borussia Dortmund on the weekend. We'll also talk about 30 year anniversary of the Premier League. And we'll talk on a couple of other things that we might touch on today, maybe some Arsenal stuff. So maybe we'll save Arsenal for, for Righty's House. Have you been watching the All or Nothings, by the way? I have not been watching the All Nothings yet. Right, when the final ones have gone up, maybe we should do an yeah. episode about them. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. It sounds great. I mean, we did one for Spurs as well, so. Yeah, we did. It's a nice, nice symmetry to it. Yeah. Uh, very different shows, though. But That's we'll interesting. That another time. Um, other bits of admin. Uh, I just wanted to say a, a quick thank you for everyone who got in touch about last Thursday's episode. Um, yeah, it was really kind. I'm going to try and get to, I couldn't get back to everyone on Twitter, but 
or a couple of people emailed and we'll try and get back to them for that. But yeah, thanks for all the very, very kind wishes and um, about the podcast itself and also just about other stuff. So yeah, thanks for that. And uh, you're a good bunch, aren't you? They're a good bunch. That's a, a yeah. good bunch. Yeah, there's a, I gotta say there's a, I'm ambivalent about my role in it all, but uh, I like the rest of the study of the universe. I think we're uh, very well, lucky know, with our listeners. <laughs> like any large collection of people, you got to have a few bad apples in there, Musa. Do you know what? There's, there's no bad apples in the study of the universe. I would say there are certainly some, there's some chaos bad agents. There's some bad there's apples some in the study of podcast. That's true, but there's some absolute chaos agents. You know who you are. You're proud of it. We won't, we won't shame you, but you know who you are. Ah, Do you know ah. what? Um, I realised that the study of the study of wider community, let's say, or universe, there are chaos agents there and there are those who aim to become chaos agents. That's true. That's and actually true. they're the ones that are more chaotic. <laughs> it's, very, it's like Padawans in training. Chaos Can Padawans I in training. <laughs> Can I also thank the study historians, the ones who actually remind us of the terminology we've forgotten. Wait, we'll, we'll, we'll save that because we need to talk, <laughs> we're going to talk about that in later in the show. So today, Musa and I are going to quickly round up some stuff that we clocked from the weekend, give a few shout outs. We'll talk about Chelsea Spurs, and then we're going to talk about Brentford against Manchester United. Quite Premier League heavy today, but that's where a lot of the drama was. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it all after this. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, man. What caught your eye around Europe this weekend? Can I just give a quick shout out to Dortmund who beat Freiburg 3-1 on Friday night after being a goal down? And uh, like I said, Jamie Bino gittin has got his first goal for Dortmund after coming on as a substitute in the second half. He'd been on the pitch 13 minutes and he got Dortmund back into the game. Um, for those who don't know, he's a young English boy and he came from Man City. He's only 18 years old, came from Man City, went to Dortmund, played one Bundesliga game this season and he scored so we're gonna give some i might give some flowers to him and write his house but wanted to give yeah, that yeah. a shout nice out shout. that's lovely yeah it's a good win for good win for dortmund that there was um yeah yeah because the kind of were, win that is a defining not defining win but it's an important mm. it's the kind of win that if you're going to do something this season you need to be showing resilience in games like that yeah absolutely they, they can't afford to lose any ground on the way, by, the way Bayern have come out and also, this is a this is a Freiburg side who are a good side. We've seen that, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. For that put, reason, yeah. They put a lot of people away last season, so coming away from Freiburg with a win is is not a bad big result deal. at it's all. A big deal, yeah, yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the Bundesliga, we'll just shout it out quickly. Uh, the best probably game of the weekend was the Hoffenheim Bochum game. Bochum raced with two goal lead after thirteen minutes, and then. Hoffenheim ended up coming from 2-0 down to win. Munus Dabo got the winner with a couple of minutes to go. Um, Leverkusen. 
There are a lot of people. <laughs> Derek Ray. <laughs> Derek Ray. He said that very funny of... tweet. <laughs> they got me believing. God, they got me <laughs> believing. They... He said, oh, oh, Derek, you got got. <laughs> Leverkusen lost at home to Augsburg. And they are, let's say, struggling to get out of the blocks in the Bundesliga this year. They are bottom of the league after two games with zero points. Oh, the Bundesliga. Draws galore on Saturday. So much so that my dad sent me a text message. I put it at the right house group. It was such a dad evaluation. And she went, all score draws in the Bundesliga? That was it. And then he followed up a few minutes later after, Bo- uh, after Hoffenheim had got their winner, just saying, not now. <laughs> such a dad text. Yeah, a couple of shouts. Quick shout to Werder Bremen, quick shout to Schalke. Both got score draws on the weekend against Stuttgart for Bremen. And Schalke drew tour with Gladbach thanks to a 93rd minute penalty equaliser. Absolute scenes in Gelsenkirchen. Which is the kind of thing that used to happen to Schalke or happened to them long ago. So good for them. Exactly. Sadio Mane had a goal ruled out for offside for Bayern. Um, But they beat Wolfsburg 2-0 at home, which actually I think is a... I think that's actually weirdly an encouraging result for the rest of the Bundesliga. What, just 2-0? Yeah. Yeah, although I wonder if it's a kind of, yeah, just take the foot off the gas True. after half time, which is my fear because this Bayern team feels, feels a little bit more dangerous, weirdly enough, because it reminds me of like, see, Nagelsmann's Leipzig, right? The goals came from, actually, Nagelsmann's Leipzig, we'll come to that uh, in, the, in the analysis of... Um, of Tuchel's Chelsea, they're similar in the sense that the goals come from the system rather than the individual, right? Mm. And this is a goal, this is a team now in Nagelsmann's image where the, the forward line has so much fluidity and control that I'm like, now we're going to see what he was trying to build. And I'm kind of nervous. When I saw the scoreline 2 like I kind of got nervous because I'm like, hang on a minute, he didn't hammer them. He's just easing through the gears. And that's a very, <laughs> that's kind of like a, a pep type energy, actually. That's a big Pep Guardiola energy. So I'm a bit nervous, actually, that it stayed at 2-0, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, makes yeah. total sense. <laughs> Ominous, yeah. Um, oh, PSG beat uh, Montpellier 5-2 on Saturday. Uh, Kylian Mbappe missed a penalty. Yeah, that was not without incident. So, um, yeah, all kinds of incident there. So Neymar and Messi combined extremely well, as they have done previously this season. They look really in sync. And actually, PSG are looking... They look good. But they look good. They look like a team. Yes. Slight drama there. There's a little bit of drama, which is worth mentioning because it was too big to ignore, I think, which is that um, the first penalty was taken and missed by Mbappe and the next one was taken and scored by Neymar. Mm. And after the game, there were a couple of tweets that Neymar liked. Like, not even... I I, I didn't believe at first. I would just check them. Neymar liked two tweets talking about how can they make him the penalty taker and not me when my, I'm, I'm so much better I'm basically the best in the world taking penalties yeah but he's not so move on well he's, he's not he's not but the delusion's delusion but there's there's a lot of there's a bit of tension in that in that camp um, which they'll have to navigate but here's the thing when you're going to win a Champions League I think that well when you're one of the favourites in the Champions League I think a lot of these things will be put to bed at least for a season so yeah let's see how uh, see that mm. plays out in Liga quickly before we move on quick shout for Nuno Tavares scored for Marseille on loan, yeah. he's over there on loan this year. So uh, I hope he does well, man. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go to Serie A? Let's do it. Let's do it. Very, very Game of the weekend. Fiorentina um, Cremonese. I didn't catch that. 95th minute winner for Fiorentina. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Luka Jovic scored as well. But um, most of the story came around uh, Romelu Lukaku 
getting off the mark after what was it 90 mm. seconds or something yeah very fast yeah i mean just a, not 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 most difficult goal to score uh cross your ball not back across goal scores from a few yards out but yeah that meant a lot to him it's a vintage lukaku into goal though to be fair it was it was it was actually, like oh yeah, yeah oh the band's back together huh why did it yeah why did it ever fall apart but yeah still 100 million pounds will do that um denzel dumfries got the winner late late winner another 95th minute winner he did. Good bit of poaching as well. Really nice goal that, uh, well, a really nice piece of poaching, sorry. Milan against Udinese, this was my favourite game out of Serie A, just because it was Milan just showing what they do best, yeah. going okay. ahead, yeah. getting pegged back, and then the resilience. And just the variety of playmaking and the forward line fluidity. They are, they're just so impressive in how they evolve. Rebic is back now uh, from injury, looks really, really good, looks trim, looks fast. I loved this just, lineup, by the way. Yeah, like, yeah I look, I look, him up top with, with uh, Messias, Diaz, and Liao behind him. It's my favourite Milan lineup, and it was even when Giroud was starting. Not because I don't love Giroud, but more because just the fluidity, mm. and it's the most modern Milan, and it's the one which gets the best out of all the players mm. um, because these players are so fast and so smart. I mean, can I just say I'm really happy for Bram Diaz as well because he was definitely a player. He was in the Daniel Sturridge situation a couple of years ago where he had to, this was his like, you know, like Sturridge got three big clubs in a row and he had to make the third one work and he made Liverpool really work. And Bram Diaz was like, they had City, he had Real and at Milan, he's just utterly found himself and I just love it for him. I'm really happy for him. Yeah, same. So yeah, great win for Milan there. Um, Quick shouts for La Liga. Uh, Real Madrid's came from behind against Almeria who scored very, very early on on their return to the top yes. flight. Uh, goals from Vasquez and a lovely David Alaba free kick. With his first touch pretty much, yeah. Such a good free kick. This, this was, game was course, funny. Did you see yeah. the keeper kind of like, because it went in <laughs> off the post and the keeper thought it was going to hit him and the keeper was just like, ah. <laughs> I want to give credit to Almeria because they, Almeria played they superbly. They were, they could have what? had a second as well. Yes. They really could have had a second. Well, they were so good that they made Modric come on. Yeah. That's how good they were. We got a good glimpse at Genero Gattuso's Valencia. A 1-0 win. Great win for them. Thanks to a penalty from Carlos Soler. Yeah. And a players, red card yeah. just after the second, after the half time. Uh, speaking of red cards, Sergio Busquets got sent off in the latter stages of Barcelona's 0-0 draw against Rayo Vallecano, which had about nine offside VAR goals in it. It didn't, mm. it had three. Rayo were outstanding. What I liked about this game for both teams, and I think I said this on Twitter, was that both teams would have learned a hell of a lot about this. Mm. What I loved about this game was, so the thing about Barca, the reason Barca didn't win this is because they haven't yet got, the, got their combinations flowing. You cannot beat a team as good as Rayo with one-on-one football. You can't. You can't beat them with pass and move. You need like three or four phases, combinations of passing to open them up. And what I love about Rayo was they worked up very early. Ah, Rafinha is probably on the wrong wing, I think, for a team like this because he likes going on the inside too much and they shut that down. Dembele was basically doing too much of the one-on-one stuff and it was never reliable. Um, and then what was, I was slightly disappointed with, and I never thought I'd say this with the midfield containing Pedri and Gavi, I was a bit disappointed with the way Barca moving the ball through the middle of the pitch. Yes. Like, because when, when Frankie de Jong came on and I was like, how the hell are you thinking of setting this player? Like, Frankie de Jong came on I don't get and it. immediately, I, I don't get it at all. I, I don't think they get it either. Nope. Frankie de Jong came on and I'm like, what are you going to do when Busquets gets injured? What are you going to do? Because here's the thing, right? You do not have a player that will run at the guts of a midfield playing give and go like Frankie de Jong. There's no one that does that. And 
that man came on the moment he came on. He was smuggling the ball through the heart of the midfield and actually Rayo looked generally rattled. That was the one time in the game where I thought there's trouble here. The other thing I will say is Ansu Fati's introduction. It was funny because it's maybe a bit harsh on Rafinha, but you see Rafinha's movement just early in the season, don't get me wrong, it's early days, is, 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 is ultimately still a little bit more, you can see what's happening. Ansu Fati's movement is utterly unpredictable. It's utterly unpredictable. He will go left, he'll go right, he'll drop into pockets, he'll find space. He moves the ball on quick, he makes fast decisions. The one decision he'd make quick was the counter, I think, where they could have laid it off for the offside. Um, but fundamentally, you look at Ansu Fati and you look at Frankie Dion, you look at and also Ferran Torres, how much chaos he causes. Mm. And weirdly enough, those are actually my favourite wide players at the moment, Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres, just because they do things that unbalance complex in world defenses. Football. No, in, in, in this squad. Sorry, okay. they, they, I'll, they I'll, I'll allow that. Un- <laughs> in, 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 this, in this squad and in this, in this lineup, they unbalance complex defences. Mm. Although the one thing that's made me think, having watched this game was, I really wonder why, you know how like Chelsea, um, Barcelona were hard after Azpilicueta? I was thinking to myself, you should have been going after Reese James instead. Yeah, but <laughs> like, they're never going to afford him. No, no way. They can afford him though. They were going to go to Azpilicueta because he was going to be free. Yeah, but they should have gone after Reese James. I, I think if you're going to go the after the Rafinha yeah, signing yeah. is a curious one still for me mm. because I don't That's think they needed him. And I think that the, when the point you made there about the movement compared to Ansu Fati is such an interesting one because mm. I mean Ansu Fati is you know he's star boy right yeah he is um, but you can definitely the the fact that there's six years difference there so if you can imagine Ansu Fati with hopefully an injury free six more years of pro, like progress. Mm. Like, he's extraordinary. And I, I, yeah, I'm not entirely sure they still, I like Rafinha as a player, don't get me wrong. I'm still not entirely sure that that is a signing they needed to make, but we've talked well, about this I mean, Barcelona this we season. We mentioned the fullbacks anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we didn't even mention yeah. that they did manage to get pretty much everyone registered apart from Jules Koundé. Yeah. Um, so all of the new signings apart from Koundé were involved in the game on the weekend, thanks to more levers being pulled. Mm. Feels a bit like DuckTales, just levers <laughs> going, is that DuckTales? <laughs> Scrooge McDuck what putting a all his money what a left. Yeah. What a reference. <laughs> Ducktails. Woo-hoo. They should do that. Barca. Woo-hoo. The thing about Ducktails, which doesn't get discussed enough, is that like he dives into a load of coins. He does. I've never had the luxury of diving into a load of coins, but I imagine it really hurts. <laughs> I don't know, when you're rolling that deep, it must feel good, man. You're just like <laughs> entranced by the cat. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it always looked, he always seemed to like break through as if it was yeah, like it was water. Like, like it was yeah. liquid. Liquid gold, yeah. There we go, liquid Maybe gold. it was. Maybe it was. Anyway. Levels to this, yeah. All right, should we return to, where are we returning to actually? Can we return uh, to anywhere? We're kind of a little bit nomadic, right? So we can't really return to anywhere. Always, always nomadic. Um, how about the Premier League? Let's go to well, the Premier League. There was another battle of the bridge. There was... Two dads with extreme hold-me-back energy. <laughs> but Chelsea 2, Spurs 2 at Stamford Bridge. Uh, do you want to talk about the game kind of briefly itself? Yes, because let's do that. I thought yeah. tactically it was super interesting. Yes. And I think Harry Kane summed it up brilliantly afterwards in the fact that he just said, we didn't deserve a point from this game. No, no, no. that's the fundamental. No, 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 like, no. It was really interesting because I was trying to, I was looking on, I was trying to send, like gauge what Spurs Twitter was doing. Mm. Some very trusted Spurs fans that I follow and then kind of just diving out into the... <laughs> Joe, it felt like a little bit, you know, in like Finding Nemo when they want to go past the drop-off. 
That I've was not seen of, it. <laughs> Still not seen it. Just, just <laughs> stay on the reef. Don't go past the drop off. That's kind of what like venturing out into Spurs Twitter is actually like for me outside the little bubble of Spurs fans that I follow. Oh wow! When you get when you get to the underbelly, I just don't know when a shot is going to come and gobble me up, Musa. I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, an, as an Arsenal fan, yeah, that's a dangerous ground. It's like, yeah. it's yeah. really. It was, all of a sudden, everything just went very dark, and I couldn't really see anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was very scary out there. Just. But yes, so I went past the Spurs Twitter drop-off and um, some people were like, look at this side, the hype is real, we have to believe we're going to win the league kind of thing. And mm. there were other people, more from the Spurs fans that I follow, who were like talking, didn't let the result kind of overshadow what the game highlighted in a tactical sense. Mm. Um. And Spurs just could not get going. Well, actually, could, what do you think? Because initially in the first 10 or so, I actually thought Spurs did quite well. And then Chelsea kind of wrestled Chelsea control of the game and the then clamp. that was it Chelsea for the rest of the, the first clamp. half. Yeah. It's airtight. There's something about Chelsea at home when they've got rhythm. And this is credit to Tuchel's coaching because this man, and we saw it actually with his arrival at Chelsea, the ability of Tuchel to marshal a group of disparate elements very quickly into a team shape is, is remarkable. These players have just come in. Cucurella's come in. Koulibaly have come in. That left side looks superbly in sync. Superbly in sync. Like it's, goodness, like when Chelsea, Chelsea were almost like warming up in the first 10 minutes and then it was just the speed. They were moving the ball to the middle of the pitch. Kante taking up really good positions, uh, coming out wide, playing one twos, getting into space, showing Dude, some flair. Sorry, the way that they broke lines with passing was oh un- my goodness, unbelievable! Oh right, right, like, relentlessly hammering it through gaps. Yeah, and Spurs, like on the other side of that, whenever they got the ball, they could not do it. They could not. Like, Spurs having the ball in their own half was really tricky. Apart from the one, one or two occasions where they got out, uh, Ryan Sessegnon had that chance down the left hand side. And the other one where Son broke and Reese James took that booking. Yes. Those were the only two, was, minute, two moments of note in the first half that Spurs managed to get out. But when they had yes. the ball deep, they couldn't do anything with it. But Chelsea just pressed them so well. And I think a lot of that was down to the... I was actually watching JJ's breakdown of it for Tifo. And I mean, it's something you could see within the game, but it was a point that he made later on about the goal that I want to touch on. But just like when you actually see it on the tactics board, it's really, it's really good to see how, because you're watching it in real time, but obviously because everything is so fluid. Yes. When you actually see the speed at which Chelsea moved from a three in defence at the back, which technically became a five and then to a four in an attacking sense. Now that's quite a common thing for a lot of teams to do, you know, shift the amount of defenders in, attacking and defensive transitions. People know that. But what the option of having Loftus-Cheek as that one who then later in the game tucked into midfield, it's just really interesting. I really like him in certain games on that right-hand side because he is yeah. he is essentially a presence of a central midfielder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But playing in a position where he's he's out of out of trouble a little bit, if that makes sense. He can make that his own, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, if he I plays his cards right, like he can make that his own. Games. There was yeah. one game he played last season, I can't remember, it might have been, was it Real Madrid? When he got kind of cooked online a little bit, but we mm. thought he played okay Yeah, in that role. He, had a, he was unlucky. He had a couple of games where he played, either where he got, I think, more criticism deserved online, or where his play was overshadowed by a loss. I think that was a West Ham game where I thought he was superb. Maybe, yeah. 
was mm-hmm. outstanding in that one. And there are certain games where I think, actually, for Loftus-Cheek to stay around at Stamford Bridge, it, it wouldn't hurt him to say, actually, I'll make this my special position. Yeah. Because let's be frank, he's not going to get there as an eight because they have the eights they want. They have Kante Kovacic and they've got Jorginho in the There'll pivot. be games of him in there, though. There will, there will be, but, but yeah. if he wants to take a position, as Piliqueta, obviously getting on a bit in terms of age, and Reese James, I think just, he gives you that thrust down the right. And I think Reese James is such a good sort of right-sided centre-back. I mean, he's brilliant. Uh, that, I don't know, I think it could be a, it could be a good look for him, actually, especially since hudson Adoy is on his way out. So, yeah, um, Ooh, yeah really liked him. Is he going to Dortmund? I'd love that if that happens. Is he going? Is he that. going? I saw oh a rumour. Is he going? Is he going? The dream. Well, he was talking. All I heard was that he, his people were talking to Dortmund, but nothing That's like that said. Stadio, that's like a Stadio law of attraction transfer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dream, just dreamed it into existence. We incepted it, yeah. But yeah, this is, but shout out to Chelsea. Um, Cucurella looked really, really good. He looked great, actually. Yeah, I just, but I, I've, I've loved him even since I saw him in, in La Liga. Just the mm. energy he brings, pushes high up. Look at this guy. Saw him before like the first album. Chris. Yeah, listen, I like the early material before his hip. He certainly... Uh, they actually played my I've local. Got, <laughs> but I've got to say that you never know how, you never know how a player like him will step up though. Like it's really credit to him. He's, he's looked good at every level of visibility. He's been, like, he's always played at a high level. You know, La Liga's obviously like, it is what it is. It's just every level of responsibility has been given. He's looked absolutely part of it. He did not look for a moment overawed. Could Bali just... Chelsea are incredible. How can you replace a player like Rudiger, as important as Rudiger? How can you make that seamless transition to to Koulibaly? I just think it's it's in, they're actually they're blessed actually to do that to be able to like just fill in a gap like that. He was, he was so good. He was, he was so unbelievable. Good. But he's unbelievable. He's I mean, unbelievable. he is amazing, yeah. dude. We yeah. love Koulibaly. Yeah. We know yeah. that. But it's this such guy a great is sign. so good. His because he had that one strike in the first half that went quite high and wide, but from yeah. way out. And I was just like, okay, Kulabali's, Kulabali's, he's, he's doing he's, Rudiger things. He's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's just <laughs> like, Same energy. Yeah. Someone made a great point. Kulabali scored this astonishing volley from a corner. It's a beautiful finish. So good. It's like one of the goals, this, it will end up as one of the kind of, I would say like, if it's like a 50, top 50 goals this season, it'll be in there. Rudiger spent his entire time at Chelsea trying to score that goal and Kulabali does it in his first match. So good. <laughs> that specific goal, like that, you know, could have barely scored one or two worldies, but that, and it, uh, sorry, Rudiger did, but that in particular was just the timing of it and the importance of it. Can we talk about this quickly? Sorry, yeah, of course, sorry yeah, to yeah, cut in, but this is yeah, the thing for, I, was, I, was, I wanted to talk about with JJ's stuff that he did on TIFO, which was really yep. interesting. So obviously, everyone's going on about zonal marking. Yes. Right? But what JJ mentioned, and I think this is really, really important, is that, right, first of all, why are we still talking about zonal marking? Why are we still talking about it when pretty much the entire, the entirety of elite level football Does teams mm. do zonal marking? Yeah, yeah. Or a, a hybrid of both. Now, what JJ highlighted here, which is really, really interesting, is that he went back and he, he literally said, I went back and watched all of, the Chel- of Chelsea's corners from like the last seven games or something like that. Oh my God, wow, okay. And Deep basically, dive. from both sides, I think there were only two or three outswingers throughout that that's time. Int- so if you look at where Spurs have loaded the zone, it's front post for the, out, for the inswinger. Wow. Which means that Tuckle has probably expected Spurs to do that and therefore has implemented an outswinger, which means Koulibaly is free at the back because the only person there is Son. Son's kind of not really marking anyone. Yes. He's just kind of like waiting for the ball to break. 
and he looks around. To be honest, Son should be marking Koulibaly. Right. All Son needs to do there is check his shoulder. Koulibaly's there and he can at least get his body in between the ball and Koulibaly. But he's not expecting the thunderbolt, is he? No, but also he doesn't even look to see if anyone's there. Now that's yeah, the fair. only issue. But that's that. But there, there you go. So what you actually have there is you have Spurs demonstrating a high level of analysis of Chelsea's corners over a vast amount of time mm. and implementing a system that Chelsea have then countered. It's unbelievable. I love that so much. Counters and... Yeah, shouts to JJ, man. Counters the countermeasures. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's, the, that's what pe- like people... Like um, Graham Soon is going on about zonal marking or whatever. And it's just like, I'm sure that the most elite level managers with the most elite level analysis teams are going to pull out some kind of thread that they're going to try and use for their advantage or like to as a defensive thing. Anyway, that was the first goal. Yeah. Chelsea, I think, had a couple more chances before halftime. The one that I thought was a big chance was the Ruben Loftus-Cheek yeah. one. I think he should have done better on that header. I, I thought the Sterling one was the worst one of all. That was in the second half, no? Yeah, second half, yeah. But that, that but in terms the first of a miss, half, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, yeah. that, that yeah. ball in from Georgina was amazing. And Loftus Cheek had kind of got between the two and got a slight amount of contact on it. And I actually think he should have done better. I, I thought it meant the Loftus Cheek because in the second half, he went through before Sterling. Oh, no, no. I, you know that yeah, header so in the first that, half? Yeah, yeah. He of course, kind of yeah, didn't yeah. really make a contact off him. Tuckle was like, had his head in his hands. Yeah. Um, Sterling's miss was massive. And then, and Harry Kane actually missed that stuff, yeah. which so, was really surprising. There was a couple of really. Odd for players, for players who've scored goals of that importance yeah. at those moments, I think they were big misses. And this is, this is not to sort of dig them out. It's more like... Well, no, Kane referenced it in his post-match interview as well. In terms of the momentum of the game, you know, they're goals that they both should have scored, I think. Because mm. at 2-0, I don't think Spurs are coming back. No, I don't either. As for their first goal, Hoybier won. Yeah, it's a foul on Harvard. It happened so far before the goal. So long before yeah. the goal, sorry. Chelsea have numerous times to adjust to that, to yeah. adjust to that, you know? So yeah, it's a foul. I don't think the lack of, I mean, obviously because if we all know this, like the way that games play out, Spurs don't score that goal if that foul is given, but yeah, Chelsea have so many, many, so many opportunities. I think they even win the ball briefly and it goes back to Spurs in that time. Mm. The only, the thing I was more interested in was the Richarlison standing in an offside position thing. And at first I was convinced he was, and a couple of angles looked like he really was, but actually at the pure moment of impact, Mondi can, can see, yeah. which is why I'm, I imagine that they've, they've allowed it. Mondi didn't appeal. No one actually appealed from Chelsea, which right. is a, usually a good yeah, tell I mean, that's right. in the moment. Yeah, as opposed to the second goal, which is another story. Um, on that, so I was just happy for Hoybier on that, just to put a pin in that, because I think a challenge, and this is something that, Wapaya Buntugu put on Twitter really Just good point about, yeah, about transitions. You know, Wapaya's a great, a great analyst. He's a great young writer, man. Yeah, just a great analyst, just generally like in terms of what he sees. And it's something I've felt, but he really crystallised it so well in his analysis. His, his tweets about Spurs' ability to manage these transitions and maybe there's an element of, of creativity they're lacking in the middle of the pitch. And so yes. they're going to need more from Hoybier and Bentancourt. And Hoybier in particular started this season impressively in that sense, like showing that bit more. I'll actually compare it, weirdly enough, I compare it to Kovacic showing more ambition at the start of last season for Chelsea, like really just being a bit more swashbuckling. And those two players have the capacity in them to do more and they're going to need to do more, I think, for Spurs to really push on this year. Lovely goal for Chelsea to take the lead again. Sterling laying it off to Rhys James. That is a gorgeous goal. It was a lovely goal. 
Yeah. Very well worked. And then Spurs is equaliser. It was a great header from Kane. The actual goal itself was great. I don't think it should have been another corner. I think it should have been a free kick to Chelsea before because Romero yanking Cucurella's hair back. Almost in plain sight. Yeah, I don't really understand why this wasn't given. It's such a bizarre decision. Much like the kind of, I mean, a quick one on the first on the first challenge because I know that a couple of people might might respond to this that we haven't mentioned it. There was a slight touch on the ball from Bentancur mm. for the Harvard's tackle, but still yeah. a foul. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That we saw that. Yeah, we did see it. But this one, it's actually, I, I found this quite nasty. The Cucurella hair pull. If you're putting someone off their feet by the force of like yanking the hair, that's like a pretty brutal yeah. form of aggression, actually. I think it's dangerous. Like it's, it's actually, because it makes you second guess yourself. If someone's going to do that to you and you're off balance and you get yanked, like it's, it's kind of dangerous. Like I mm. saw it and thought, this is like way out of order. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't like it. I'm not going to lie. No, but I, I think, didn't like it at all. But then it all obviously kicked off afterwards and it kicked off through the goal. We didn't mention yeah. the first kickoff, but it was, there was, you know, both like Conte going over to the Chelsea dugout. He knows what he's doing. Tuckle bites and then Tuckle runs down the touchline for the Chelsea goal, which is blatant response to the Conte thing. And then at full time, they do this weird handshake thing where it's just like Tuckle says afterwards, the very German thing of being like, you look someone in the eyes when you shake the hand. It's much like when you cheers in German. Prost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Frankly, I, I don't. I don't blame anybody on earth for not looking Tuchel's eyes after a game like that. Um, not, not that Conte was. <laughs> I would afraid have been off down the tunnel. I would have been like, "Fuck yeah. this! I'm not. I'm going to yeah. semi only this. I'm going to peg it." And uh, I think football has the biggest differential between pundits saying nobody likes to see that and supporters thinking we absolutely, we absolutely love, love to see it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's the biggest. Apparently, differential. Carragher referenced that on Sky, saying really? everyone says they don't love to see it, but we actually love to see this. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I would say that this game. One thing I want to slightly I need to mention as well, Reese James' concession of a free kick and an unnecessary position on Harry Kane. I think this is what started all of it, that last four minutes. Totally unnecessary. And he'd had yeah, a really good game apart from the booking. I saw that and just thought to myself, yeah, you know what? We can talk about what happened in the box, but actually there was just absolutely no need for that foul. That's what generates all of this. And if, if Reese James plays high and long, it's fine. And I think this get is out the annoying trouble. thing about, for Chelsea's yeah. point of view, is that they had the game under control. If, if you're a Chelsea fan, you can you've got a lot to get your teeth into about why both goals shouldn't have stood. Although, but then at the same time, you've, you had a lot of opportunities not to get, there, there was still yes. a lot of opportunities. Like, like you said, the Reese James free kick starts that whole passage off, doesn't need to happen. After the Harvard's, well, the, the foul on Harvard's that wasn't given, there's a huge, there's almost a minute, there's three quarters of a minute before the ball's in the back of the net and there's so yes. many opportunities to get out and they just don't. And it ends up with an error from Jorginho. Right. But yeah, it all kicked off afterwards. And actually, I, I think we, sh we should probably wrap this bit up because we've been going on a while. But I think for Spurs, this isn't a place that, this isn't a, fi a fixture that Spurs traditionally do well. And people, we, there was a lot of people talking about that. They have not played well in this game. No. And they've got a point out of it. That is the kind of stuff that at the end of the season accumulates big right. time. So for Spurs, this result is absolutely huge because Conte will know that they were massively second best in this game but he knows what he's doing right Spurs weren't in the game until they kind of started to rough it up a bit yeah and with Conte going off on one on the touchline it kind of adds a spikiness to it that I think Spurs can deal with a lot better than Chelsea can in a game in that kind of game state because it throws yes. Chelsea off their balance they always works for the team who are kind of struggling to get a foothold in the game and what what it did do though I think if you look at the wider context of Spurs where Spurs are at the moment 
few people were talking about them pushing for for a title challenge this season before mm. before the season started, which I found quite interesting. But like I said, when I delved into some of the Spurs Twitter stuff, there was a lot of talk about like, yeah, the hype is real. We might do it because of like, basically, and it's almost like, um, I, I want to use this term like a little bit carefully, but you know what I mean by it. It's like when a manager almost like radicalizes the fan base. Yes. <laughs> for, for like a, a this was myth building. This is a this siege, was, it's like a siege kind of, but yeah, it's like a siege yes. thing. It's just like, we f- like, f- like, fuck it. Yeah, I'll fight for you. I kicked off with Thomas Tuckle. All the fans are just like, Conte's our guy. We're going to do it. Like, and that I think is really smart. This really, fucking really fully smart. became, yeah. yeah. This fully became Conte's Spurs. Yes. There, and that, yeah. there were so many people that were looking. I was like, you know, there's this hangover of, look, Mourinho actually had his devotees in the Spurs camp. He did. And, and obviously Pochettino did. There's a Pochettino hangover. Similar actually to the kind of Tuckle hangover at Dortmund, right? And Conte made this, it's, it's now his image in the same way that he made Chelsea in his image. And we'll talk about identity, you know, with United and Brentford in the next bit, in the last bit, but Spurs have an identity. And if you're yep. going to win anything, 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 anything at the highest level, you need an identity. And they've got that now. And, and that is weirdly what they won more than the, yes, they dropped two points, but they won that. The other thing I was saying is a no, huge I think result. This is a point gained for Spurs. I think that's right. No, I agree. Well, I, I, it's, it's I a think huge it's result. A point. I think it's a huge result for Spurs, but closely behind that, I think it's a huge result for Arsenal. Actually, eh. I think. I think in the context of, I think, I think, and I, I know you hate me putting Arsenal on the spot because of what they are capable of, but I think that the way they've started and for them to look at this and be like, these are the games that could come to define their seasons. I, well, I mean, you saw the margins. I've talked about margins before, right? And I said for Spurs, you know, that accumulates over a season. Yes. Games that you're outplayed, but you really knuckle down and you manage to get a point in. Right. You know, that could be six, that could happen six times away from home this season. That's six yes. points, right? Mm. That's the difference between the Champions League spot and not. Bingo. To be honest, I think I probably over, uh, we'll talk about it, but current signs are I actually overestimated Manchester United this season. But the top, it's a solid top five this year. Yes. Without a doubt. So yes, five yes. to four does not go. <laughs> no, it's a, sol- it's a solid top five. Yeah, I'm glad you see that. Every single point counts. And I think for Spurs in a game where they were vastly outplayed. Yeah, big deal for them. To, to end, it felt like a win. And that is such a, like, if you think about how different that swing is, you go mm. from a game where you could have been two, three nil down, massively outplayed, a bit of a kind of footballing, tactical lesson to actually coming away from that being like yeah we kind of fucked them up a bit yeah you know because that was kind of the vibe afterwards wasn't it it was just like we got out there with a point and we kind of had a bit of a scrap as well and the Spurs fans were happy like I didn't see a single to the point where Harry Kane Ashwood said oh you know when you get a winner that late and he went oh god yeah it felt like a winner sorry it was an equaliser and that's that's massive man it's huge yeah it is huge um else should we is anything else from that game or do you want to no, nothing else from that game. I just want to say a quick um, congratulations to Nottingham Forest on on that win against West Ham. That's a big, that's big a, that's a big, that's a big deal. That's a big yeah. deal. And I would I would say uh, some credit to Steve Cooper because they brought a lot of players Forest, and he's got them looking cohesive. They fit Awani and Lingard in particular. I think I mentioned this just online, but those two are really just it works. 
the charisma of Lingard, the directness, Awani just all across the front line gets a goal. It's quite a scrappy finish, but he's there for it. He's pushing and probing for it. So I just think that, you know, Forrest had to make adjustments and changes, maybe more than a traditional fan would have liked in the sense that there's been such a high turnover, but also fans understand that to stay at altitude in the Premier League, you've got to make those investments. It's just, it's, it's remarkable how quickly he's got them looking cohesive. So mm. I want to just say that quick, quick credit to Steve Cope and the coaching job there. Um, also Southampton Leeds, that was exciting. And a quick shout out to Sekumara at Southampton. That is a beautiful footballer. This guy's that like what, 20 years old. Unbelievable. That, just just the, his pass, his movement. Yeah, that opens up. The Carl Walker-Peters goal. That is a footballer. So yeah, looking forward to seeing more of him. That was a, that's a big result yeah. for Southampton that because yeah. You know, they were 2-0 down, two Rodrigo goals for Leeds, and Leeds were looking good. Yeah. Brighton nil, Newcastle nil. That was actually quite a fun game for a nil nil. And also another fun game for a nil, Wolves Fulham. Uh, Jose Saar with a late, late penalty save from Alexandra Mitrovic um, to salvage the point for Wolves. Uh, Villa beat Everton 2-1. I missed two goals in this game, literally going to put the kettle on. Well, don't blame me because that game was not exciting until it was. Exactly. I was, like, I was like, really? I've sat through this whole thing. I decided to have a cup of tea and I've come back and I've missed two goals. I didn't even ah. wait for the kettle to boil. I just, ah, went and turned, I just went and filled it up with water and put the kettle on and came back and I've missed two goals. You literally, the game literally came to the boil. It literally hey, did. There, there it is, go. everyone. Musok Wonga, poet, <laughs> author, journalist, writer, week. member Listen. of the Royal Society of Literature. ha. <laughs> Danny Ings' goal was good in this game, by the way. Yeah, it was really good. Shout for Manchester City, who were brilliant. Kevin De Bruyne was unbelievable in this game. His goal was, was so, so good. This is such a, this is such a Pep Bournemouth game. Yeah, can I say, can I, Pep, stop doing that. Yeah, stop yeah, shouting yeah, yeah. out. Stop yeah. praising Bournemouth endlessly. Oh my goodness, they're unbelievable. These guys oh, are unbelievable oh, and we beat them 4-0. <laughs> You're going to eat them, Pep. That's what he does. <laughs> if Pep praises you, he's going to. If Pep praises you, he's going to eat you or sell you. Mm, might, uh, <laughs> might talk about Scott Parker's Tom Brown obsession on Wright's house because yeah. I don't know why he's doing this. But um, Arsenal four, Leicester two. We talked about this. This was kind of a, a, well. Well, I'll save that for Wright's house, maybe. Yeah, actually, yeah. Because yeah. uh, Ian was there, so we'll do that on Wright's house. Okay. Just obviously, so, shouts to Gabriel Jesus because that man is. We he looks saw like it he's though. having a nice time. We saw it though. We saw the vision, the way he was moving. Yeah. And he, this is the thing. I think Arsenal's the one of the few teams where the preseason was actually thoroughly important and indicative of what they were going to do. Uh, preseasons aren't always irrelevant, actually. They can be catfishing. No, no, no. But this is one particular case, I think. The way he's combining with Martinelli already, or getting to this tomorrow, is it's, it's beautiful to watch that. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. 
Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Moving on to the game that got maybe the most attention this weekend and uh, was the greatest source of joy and unity in football Twitter. Shouts to Ollie Glanville, who reminded us of something that we'd actually forgotten about. He <laughs> yeah. said, this is because everyone was kind of dunking on Man United as happens when big teams get humiliated or whatever. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah. But he said, everyone's out here Ewoking. And I, I texted you, I was just like, can you remember what Ewoking was? Because I remember we talked, we, we came yeah. up with a thing called Ewoking. Yeah. Anyway, of course, it's the bit at the end of Return of the Jedi when the Ewoks are all jumping up and down being like, yay, yeah. because all of the big things are falling off. Celebrating <laughs> the fall of the evil empire, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it was a term that we came up with about when big teams lose in a humiliating way and everyone just goes wild online. Yeah. And it's just everyone's Ewoking. <laughs> yes, everyone's basking in the glory of the fallen giant. <laughs> So uh, yeah, shouts to Ollie Glanville about reminding us about that. Yeah, We've literally forgotten, us. which means that we have to do, we have to do like a Stadio Dictionary just so we can remember. Yeah, all the nonsense we come up with. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. I actually if, genuinely think, I don't think I've been more proud of anything than coming up with Ewoking. I think Ewoking is probably my finest achievement. I then forgot it. <laughs> In fact, when I die on my gravestone, I just want to be, I want it to say, I hope you're all Ewoking. He came, he saw Ewoking. I hope you're all Ewoking at my demise. (laughs) 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 Anyway, Brentford 4, Manchester United 0. It was 4 0 at half time and it stayed that way. After 35 minutes. Yes. Yeah. We'll get into the Manchester United stuff, but I think, I don't think we need to go down the, the Gary Neville Glazers. This is everything they've done to our football club route because we've talked about that. You literally talked about that a couple of weeks ago on Wright's House. It's yeah. stuff that we have repeated numerous times. We'll talk about the effects of that on the football pitch. How about that? Yes, let's do that. Yeah. But let's start, let's start, of course, with, with Brentford. Brentford and Thomas Frank. This was a display of elite coaching. This was so good because... Before the first goal, you saw signs of exactly what Brentford were doing. Brentford perfectly highlighted numerous Manchester United flaws. Yes. David De Gea's distribution, short or long. Physicality issues in centre-back positions. Ball-playing midfielders, the ability to play out under pressure. And if you look a couple of times before the first goal, watch Ivan Tony on that left centre-forward centre role. The arced run that cuts yep. off the pass just as the central midfielder pushes it up and they've just got them. Yeah. It worked consistently over and over again before they even scored. Yeah. And Manchester United didn't change anything. No. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't change anything because 
There's a, there's a very good piece of analysis that Jonathan Wilson wrote in The Guardian about how these are ill-fitting parts and how Eric Ten Hag is trying to play football with a group of players who aren't necessarily that well suited to playing it. And the trouble that Rangnick had, Ralph Rangnick had, getting players to press in a certain way, almost as if they hadn't been coached on how to press cohesively. And we've seen this. We saw it actually, weird enough, this game, I'll use the example because it's fresh in my mind. It reminded me of England-Norway at the Women's Euros in terms of the way you press impacts and you hunt people high up the pitch and you don't do it as a one-on-one. Pressing isn't running up, you know, it's, we know this, it's not running after someone tracking them down. It's basically like you do it as a pack. So one of you does it, unsettles one person and the second or the third player that's following up does that and catches you. And we, we saw that a load of the women's Euros. We saw it Germany, Austria, for example, but the, the big game is England, Norway. We saw it again today. And there were, there were alarm bells ringing for United throughout. And the problem is they don't have, you have five across the middle for Brentford and that five becomes actually in a very interesting defence. It's like a flat five and it collapses really well. The, the, whereas United have that, it's almost like five against two in certain areas because they have those three high up, Sanchez high up, isolated, Rashford high up, isolated. Um, Bruno Fernandes, unfortunately, is still playing He's still playing as if United are a counterattack team every week. And there is a player playing on a shot clock. You know, there's, United actually showed some really nice passages of play between the first and second and second and third goals. There were some things they did really, really well, shifting the ball left to right. And then it's just bang, the shot is released from distance. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute, how are you trying to score from 20 or 30 yards where actually you could switch it back across and get a tap in if you just have three or four more phases of ball? And I mentioned phases of possession because I just watched the, um, late at night I was watching the reruns of the uh, All Blacks game against uh, South Africa and Johannesburg. And the patience, the patience of teams to recycle possession in rugby, right, is, I know people don't like learning from other sports, but the patience of the All Blacks to recycle possession and not go for the big run, the big cut, but to bring it back across. United don't have patience in their playmaking. So when you combine a lack of patience, right, with a positional indiscipline, you are asking for trouble. The terrifying thing about United was the fragility, actually. The moment Brentford broke for the fourth goal, we're jumping ahead, but just the fourth goal is the perfect illustration oh, of United's fragility. So good, though. It was outstanding. And also, Luke Shaw is utterly isolated. Yeah. They set the trap and it's like, bang, it's like, it's gorgeous. Tony plays that pass in. Thomas Frank made a point of highlighting Tony's pass after the game about how it's difficult stunning- it is. Such an easy pass to get wrong. On the half right. volley, bouncing ball, counter-attacking at speed, controls the weight and direction of that pass almost perfectly. Stunning it's goal. such a good goal. It's such a and good it, pass. Yes, and absolutely. And the, and the goal, what was amazing about the four Brentford goals, it's almost like in ascending order, you talk about exposing United's flaws. It's almost like they, ascend, they, they expose the flaws in, in ascending order. Mm. So the first thing they exposed was David De Gea's shot stopping and confidence. That's the first thing they exposed. Well, actually, you could argue distribution they exposed first, I think. the pressing distribution first thing. Yep. Second thing, second goal, Jensen, they showed his lack of good decision making. They showed Martinez uncertainty as well, coming for the ball. And Jensen basically like robbed him. Ben Mee then scores the third. They bully them at set pieces, having bullied them from the throw in, then the corner. That's the third problem. And the fourth is on the counter, mm. pulled out of position. And I've got to say, like, tactically, it was spectacular to the point where you've now given the rest of the league a blueprint. This is what United do here. This is what they do here. Here's what you can do. If they don't adjust, this is how they're always going to be vulnerable. Try them from distance, press them like fury when they're playing out, 
bully them at set pieces. Obviously, not you know, you know, spiritually bully them at set pieces. Footballistically, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sounds like uh, it's just reminding yeah. me of the Conte post-match yeah. interview. He's just like your opponent wants to kill you, and then he just said in a football way. <laughs> in a football way, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he realised he was going a bit like, yeah. we have to kill yeah. them, otherwise we get killed. Kill yeah. everyone, everyone must kill, now. kill all the time. Speaking of killing. Just going back to that game very quickly, did you see the uh, yeah. unbelievable tweet from George Ware's cousin? <laughs> a picture of Angry Sunes just saying, with a quote, the only thing that that game was lacking was a good old-fashioned death. Yes. It kind of felt like he was going there, actually, Sunes. And I just, I just can, I, can I just say, with, with Sunes, I just think, look, can I just say this? You won three European Cups, okay, as a player. I just expect more in terms of insight. I just, ex- I just expect more. That's all I'm saying. Like, for someone that did what you did, I expect more. Anyway, yeah. Um, but back to Brentford and what they did in this game, absolutely superb, giving other teams the blueprint. We've said this with like, you know, so many times Premier League. It's a copycat league. If someone shows the flaws, then others are going to come for you. And the, the, the big worry for United, the big worry for them, I think, is that two games in, not to make this all about United because it's about Brentford, an astonishing victory. There's an issue here is that two games in for United, you've lost both games. You've lost to Brentford, you've lost to Brighton. These teams are better than you. So now you think to yourself, if you don't adjust fast, and that could be either through bringing players in, because I think you need to bring players in, or coaching, the coaching can improve, but these players also think there's a, there's a fear setting in. It's very fair to say that United at this point are, well, they're bottom of the league. They're bottom of the league, and they, they deserve to be bottom of the league. And actually, this will sound like a hot take, they're in the kind of trouble early on, which could mean they're still in trouble in the last part of the season. And, and because it's, it's structural trouble because look you have Cristiano Ronaldo we've not even mentioned you have a player in the dressing room who's won five Ballon d'Or he look, kind like, of just doesn't really look like he wants to and, be there either but that's, that's bizarre if you think about how weird that is if you look at the dressing room and like all the disparate elements there you've got a player who doesn't want to be there right who is making that clear and whose disdain for his surroundings is obviously clear you have Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho you know Rashford is a superb player PSG are looking at him if that's a move that is at all in the offing. For his career, he should take it. And goodness knows what Jadon Sancho's representative thinking because you've negotiated this exceptional salary for him, but you've got him in a team which is not playing to any of his strengths at all. And where does he go at this point? This is the thing that concerns me. In terms of his development, this is horrifying. Wherever he goes, he will have wasted two seasons of prime development time. So it may be that he never becomes the player that he's meant to be because it's cost him two vital years. It's just, there's alarm bells all over this team. It's like someone going to the doctor who hasn't been to the doctor for a checkup for 15 years. And the doctor's like, I'm almost scared to tell you. I'm almost scared to start to tell you what's wrong. Because, no, no, it's almost, it's almost like, I'm almost scared to tell you like, your cholesterol's like this, and this is like this. There's just so many things you haven't been addressing. And what concerns about United is they're the least of all the teams I've seen in the Premier League this year so far. It's only two games, yes. And what I will say this, every other team has an identity. Whether they've won or lost, whether they, Wolves, Fulham, Southampton, like of all the teams I've seen so far, mm. yeah, this is the only time I've looked at which does not have an identity. If that makes sense. I mean, I think that because of this, well, not symmetry, but... Um an opening stage defeat away at Brentford. A lot of the parallels were being made with Arsenal's first game last season. I'm, I'm not talking about Arsenal here, but I'm, I'm, mm. there were just lots of parallels made between that. And I think the difference between the two is the sense that, you know, opening weekend, opening night, a night game at Brentford, who 
were a lot more stable and set up. Arsenal had a lot of injuries and a lot of people and missing. And were the best, the highest goal scorers in the championship. Exactly. Were really and good. I think yeah, just yeah. Um, Brentford were way more ready for that game than Arsenal were, which isn't a pass on Arsenal. But I think mm. what's more concerning about Manchester United here is that everyone was available with the exception of Martial, who was on loan last season anyway. Yeah. It kind of looks like no one's bought into anything or, at all. Yes. But also from Ten Hag's point of view, I think he needs to take a little bit of criticism here because why is Christian Eriksen playing as the ball playing deep lying central midfielder? That's just never been his position ever. Agreed. Yeah. I don't really understand why in a game like that, that's when you decide to do it. That's just not the, that's just not the game. I don't think. Especially against that team. The contrast here is that you have a coach who is working with far fewer resources than Manchester United apply a really, really tactically astute game plan with players who are fully, fully on board. And on the flip side, you have Manchester United who are an expensive collection operating consistently under multiple coaches, you know, less than the sum of their parts. No one really looks like they want to be there. And I said to you during the game or after the game, I think it was, you know, who comes out of this looking really good is McTominay. Yeah. Scott McTominay is not the most gifted football at Manchester United. We all know this, but he will follow instructions. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you see why so many managers turn to him and why he's managed to maintain a, si- a, a place in that squad, in that starting eleven for, under multiple managers for such amount of time for someone who the fan base deemed to be too limited to be in the Manchester United midfield consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frankly, as well, and this is a question we'll see, you know, this is, we've talked about the recruitment before. The problem with the Glazers actually is not even the investment in the squad because a lot of money's gone into the squad. The problem is they've effectively just given a bunch of people, sounds harsh, but they, they met, well, not, not all of them are still there, but a bunch of people whose main connections they met at uni and they thought it'd be nice to one day run a football club and they ran a football club. And unfortunately they're running United exactly how my mates and I would run a football club if my mates at uni would run a football club. And that is the answer that is not well. It's not well. And you know, you, you think of I the think amount be, of time. I think it'd be better, honestly. Well, that's, that's faint praise indeed. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad sporting director. We're good at like incepting transfers. But what I would say is this, like in terms of the signings, the embarrassment for United now is everyone in Europe knows they're desperate. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows they're desperate. So any, any club can ask whatever price they want. Any player can ask whatever contract they want and can have whatever ego they want. And the danger for United now, this is the real danger is until about two transfer windows ago, United can still attract elite European talent. They could get Jadon Sancho. You can't get a Jadon Sancho now. Can't you get can't Frankie get... Young. And here's the thing, if you want to get... Uh, they agreed a deal with Barcelona. Frankie right. didn't want to go. You want to get Bruno Gamarish, you can't get them because who's going to get them? Newcastle's going to get them or mm. Forrest are going to get them or you're going to get situations with clubs now where it'll be like, do you know what? United have offered me 30 grand more a week. But I'm not going to them. This is what you need to understand. When the rot has set, sets in, it's very difficult to reverse it because throwing money at a situation isn't enough. They can invest their way out of it. Two good transfer windows does address things for them. But here's the problem. They seem to have no interest in putting in structures that do that. And very quickly with Ten Hag, the cracks have shown. Mm-hmm. He came out and said, our players are going to run the same distance that was the shortfall between them and Brentford. When you're a manager, and I'm not, you know, Ten Hag, I'm not in his position, your first instinct should be, what is the protective web I draw around players who are afraid? He hung them out to dry, Ryan. 
in a very yeah. specific way. And I yeah. don't like that. I don't like that because actually that shows that's a pressure, that's anxiety. And I, it, I kind of saw it with David Moyes. I'm not saying the same coach, but like when things were not going well, David Moyes tried to shrink the job to make himself more, more comfortable. And what Ten Hag did was try to shrink the job. Yeah, but also that's I a think very, you, yeah. You, you, for the first time in a long time, a new manager coming into Manchester United has kind of got a bit of a free hit because it's, it's, people have finally accepted the size of the culture change that has to happen yeah, in order for happen, Manchester yeah. United to come back to the top level. So all he needs to do in these first couple of games is just like, yeah, I know how it looks and yeah, we're going to suck for a bit, but players are trying. There's a lot of new ideas that they're getting used to and it's going to take time. It would just shut everyone up a bit. He should have kept actually, it light. Yeah, he should have kept yeah, it light. Yeah, keep it light. Yeah. Be like, yeah, Brighton are a good side. Brentford are a really good side. First two games of the season, we've faced two sides who have been operating under the very, very astute tactical coach, like tactical minds consistently for a good amount of time now. We haven't. And yeah, and th- their stage of come. development. And that'll yeah, come. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah, that'll yeah. come. Like, yeah, we should be playing better. We know that. But the new ideas, we'll get there. And just kill the drama. That's agreed. Completely agreed. But he's completely come agreed. out and he's just a bit like, I don't fucking know what's going on. Or like, he just looks really grumpy already. And I know he's never been the most cracker, let's say. Yeah. When he took the job or when they announced the job, you and I were both a bit surprised because I remember talking about this last season when it was first rumoured about Ten Hag. And I remember saying, it would really surprise me if he went there. It was based on zero intel, by the way. It was just like, oh, it wouldn't surprise me if he stayed at Ajax another year or two. Nagelsmann is not going to do more than three years at Bayern, I don't think, because he's just not the way he moves. He's, he doesn't want to be a manager forever. My gut feeling was that Ten Hag would be the perfect Bayern manager because he was in charge of the second team when Pep was there. It's a place he knows very well. Systems guy, yeah. Yeah, it would have been perfect. That's a very sensible, smooth transition and then come to the Premier League a little bit later. I think he's realising the size of the job and it's, I think it, I think you said earlier about how Brentford have highlighted a blueprint for Manchester United. And the only reason I disagree with that is just because I don't think there is a single blueprint I think there are multiple. Right, right. In terms of the gap between expectation and output, it's the hardest job in the Premier League this year. Not in terms of the pieces available. I'm not saying that because I'm not disrespecting clubs that have got a lot more, less resources than United. I mean, the gap between expectation and what will be delivered. In that respect, it's the hardest. And Ten Hag just has to get to work. And he, he has to get the players on the side. And I think, look, I understand his frustration of the players are going to run harder than they did because a lot of players will actually admit, yeah, do you know what? you know what, boss, we should have pressed harder. A lot of players will come out. He's got a period of grace where they'll come out and say, actually, there's a lot of points against Brentford where out on the right flank, out on the left, we didn't like go in packs. That's fair. He can't keep doing that for the next couple of months. At a certain point, he'll have to take that responsibility because here's the thing about a trash fire. Everyone listening to this podcast would have gone into at least one situation, either professional or personal, where you intervene to help out. And then after about a week of the intervention, whether it was a friend you're intervening with or, or a job you went into, it becomes your situation now and you're accountable for how it turns out. And I think that Ten Hag until now, it's been like, yeah, you know, the Glazers, the owners, the recruitment's been bad, but at a certain point in the season, it'll be like, do you know what? Stop complaining. These are your players. You're an elite coach. Show us something. And I really hope for him, I really hope for him he can find a demeanour and a tone and an energy that that transmits some of these ideas to these players. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm just a bit worried that this because a lot of the the the, the two consistents through 
this whole period for Manchester United has been the ownership and the playing squad. Yeah. I'm just a little bit worried that these players have been too undercoached for too long. I do agree with that. Yeah. And that's a massive task for someone. Yeah. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever, ever call for a manager to lose their job after two games. But I saw his post-match interview after the game on Saturday and I just thought, I'm not saying I think he should be, but I genuinely thought, do you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if you're not there at Christmas. One of the and I'm not saying that's because of his, no. but sorry, because of his ability or I don't think he's a good coach or anything like that. But I just think it's, this has all of the ingredients of him being an easy scapegoat to buy yes. the club a little bit Thank more you. time. You don't want to do your terminal. Da- yes, that's it. You don't want to do your CV terminal damage. You know, it was so strange about all of this as well. This is the last thing I'll say on this because we've spoken a lot about this game in particular. The last thing I say about this is not about the owners. It's about actually, you look at Sir Alex Ferguson and what must he be thinking about the decline of this thing that he built? Because, you know, when you're winning as much as he did, you're not just doing it for you, you're doing it for legacy or you're trying to build something. Well, that, that's the hope anyway, that what you've built will be an edifice that stands the test of time. So in your advancing years, the look at United and the speed of the it's the evaporation, the aura has been lost, all of that. You look at that and just think, well, there's a lesson about fragility, isn't there? There's a lesson about structures. And actually, yes, all the talks about House of Alex Ferguson kept the decline at bay for so long, but there's the complacency, I think, that Bayern haven't been victim of. And we come back to this again, and we're not going to talk about the Glazers again, you know, just the one last mention there. Just the structures are everything. I think Sir Alex Ferguson is intelligent enough to sit there and kind of know the role he played within that. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's why he maybe doesn't think the same way as a lot of people like, that's interesting. like Gary Neville. Interesting, yeah. Because he's part of the reason they're there. Yeah. Anyway, shall we wrap? Because we've been going on for ages. Let's wrap. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh my God. So much to uh, say. Too much to say. My God. Yeah. All right. Don't forget, Writer's House will be up midweek. Myself, Jordan, Ian, and then Stadio will be back Thursday. We have to record it Wednesday, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. It's fine. But um, maybe we'll do a bit of mailbag. Should we do a mailbag? Let's do a mailbag. Let's First do it, one let's of do the it. season. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. All right, we'll, touch, we'll do a mailbag. We'll put a tweet out for questions. So keep an eye on that at Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, checktheringer.com. And don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. All the tunes we play out on, the newest one is at the top. Speaking of which, we're playing out on. It's been a while since we had some jazz, I think. So we're playing out on Drum Song 1 by Laurie Vambe. Anything you want to add, Musa I've said so much. I've got, I don't dare really anything have. else. You've been yeah. there. <laughs> hey, listen, it's point in having your own podcast if you can't chat. <laughs> hey, the whole reason <laughs> that you started this was so they couldn't have stopped you. That's true, Sally. They can't. New Navy Blue Passport and a podcast. I've taken back control. His feelings. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> so, do you have anything else to add? Or? I do not. I do okay, not. Okay, man. All right. Well, much love, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.